This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number 1 in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now in America, on Tuesday, the midterm elections take place. These are elections for the House of Representatives and the Senate. Traditionally, the incumbent president's party does badly and people use it to protest against the government. And that is expected on steroids, really, for next Tuesday's elections. The Democrats are not doing well. The economy's in trouble. And there are fears now about the future for democracy in the United States. On Wednesday, Joe Biden took an exceptional step of addressing the nation on the question of the survival of democracy in the United States. And Barack Obama, who campaigned for Democrats this week, made exactly the same point. We should not take our democracy for granted. It's a pleasure now to welcome back to the program Niall Stanage. Niall is Associate Editor of The Hill magazine and White House columnist for The Hill, which is a respected journal in America because it is unusually for an American media outlet not so partisan. Niall, welcome back to The Stand. We've missed you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tuesday's poll, the importance of it cannot be really overstated, can it? The Republicans need a small gain, around four or five seats, to take the House of Representatives, in which case Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the Speaker, and our old friend Kevin McCarthy is likely to be. McCarthy, of course, is a bit of a toady for the Donald. And the Senate is 50-50 at the moment, and much more difficult to predict, although it does seem to hang on four or five states. Mm. In terms of the homework you sent me, Mm. there were some startling revelations in. I want to begin by asking you about them. There was a New York Times Siena College poll last month. It found that 71% of registered voters in the United States believed that democracy is under threat. But just 7% believed that this was the most important issue facing the nation. 26% chose the economy. 
an additional 19% named inflation. The fact that only 7% were or are concerned about the question of democracy in the United States is remarkable. There are running for the Republicans an estimated 300 candidates for Senate and House who are election deniers. In other words, they believe that Joe Biden is not the legitimate president and they believe the Trump idea that the election was stolen and therefore the Biden administration is illegitimate. It is amazing that only 7% of people consider that to be important. It is. I mean, I guess perhaps more than that, consider it important in an abstract sense, but clearly not important enough for it to be the determining factor in their vote. Now, partly the reason for that is the economic picture here, which is uh, bleak for many people and very challenging for everyone, particularly because of inflation. But you mentioned the 300 candidates, and I think that's an important point, because in addition to Senate and House candidates, that also includes, for example, candidates running to be a secretary of state within their state, a position that often involves overseeing elections. Yes. The election system here is quite um, devolved, uh, which gives state officials a lot of power. So to have approximately 300 people being election deniers and being the Republican nominee for some kind of office is in itself a remarkable thing. And I think that that might be uh, related to the fact that, uh, or, or might be a cause of why people are not uh, so concerned. It has unfortunately become sort of normalized here for people to either be election deniers when it comes to 2020 or to say fairly explicitly that they are not committed to um, believing or accepting the results of the election that we'll see on Tuesday. Um, just to give one quick example, there's a woman, Carrie Lake, running to be governor yes. of Arizona. She has a very good chance of being elected. She's the slight favorite at this point. She has been quite clear that she will accept her defeat only if she deems it to be uh, fair and transparent or, or something like that, clearly equivocating about whether she would accept election results. So you put it all together and it's uh, representative of what a peculiar and dangerous uh, position we're in right now. Yes, the person who's embodied this idea more than anybody and popularized it to an extraordinary extent is Donald Trump. Last night, mm. Niall, he was out at a rally and he gave the strongest hint yet that he was going to run in 2024 for the Republican nomination. That, for many in Europe, would be a frightening prospect when you consider the geopolitical situation with the Chinese threatening Taiwan, the Russians now invading and at war with Ukraine. If in the West we lose America to a Trump presidency, which is isolationist, it's game over for Europe. Mm. Uh, and I think that's a very legitimate fear. Um, to take the point about isolation, isolationism, uh, right away, Eamon. Yeah, there was a poll came out here this week, and I don't have the specific percentages in front of me, but what it showed was a dramatic rise in the number of Republican voters who don't want to aid Ukraine anymore. 
basically. Yes. Um, and that, I think, shows the isolationist tendency that you're referring to. Donald Trump is the leading um, exponent of that position, although, although there are others within the Republican Party who take a similar view. When it comes to 2024, there is no question at all that uh, the former president would be the favorite to win the Republican nomination. Um, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, is perceived to be the only person with any real chance of defeating him for, as I say, the Republican nomination. And in a general election, it would be, at worst, I think, a 50-50 shot for the Republican candidate unless the political landscape changes appreciably from where it is right now. Yes, and one should say, in terms of this isolationist tendency that is growing rapidly, that in Afghanistan, in Iraq, in Vietnam, and elsewhere, American people feel that they have spent enough, as they put it, in blood and treasure, Mm. and that these adventures in the Middle East as well have yielded nothing Mm. except in all of the cases mentioned above humiliation. Mm. And when, you know, the, the recent withdrawal by Biden from Afghanistan, well, it's mm. not so recent, about, what, 17 months ago, yeah. that that was a terrible humiliation. And when you consider how much money and lives had been invested and wasted, you can understand why Americans are skeptical. You can, absolutely. I mean, Afghanistan in particular, enormous amounts of money spent, many lives lost. Um, I mean, the United States obviously was in Afghanistan for approximately 20 years to no, well, maybe it's unfair to say no impact because, of course, there were other, um, you know, fighting the Taliban, etc., driving the Taliban from power. But now the Taliban are back. um, And what America got for that long and painful investment in Afghanistan is not at all clear. Um, you know, obviously, the war in Iraq is now regarded as one of the big foreign policy mistakes of recent decades, uh, really. Uh, whether that was in its execution or in its conception is a, a whole other debate. But there was, I mean, you, you and I and many of our listeners will remember that around the time when um, Tony Blair was Prime Minister of Great Britain and uh, George Bush was president here, there was the idea put forth by Blair in particular of sort of liberal interventionism, the yes. idea that the United States and the West and Britain could sometimes have moral obligations to go into places and, and essentially try to make the world better. Now, I know that lots of people didn't believe that was the motivation at all, but my point is the uh, belief in such an idea in the United States has almost disappeared, I think, um, and has been replaced or supplanted for the most part by a more, at least among Republicans, by a more isolationist tendency. Yeah, just to explain the Afghanistan rationale, it was post 9-11 mm. and Osama bin Laden was in Afghanistan mm-hmm. and the rationale by policymakers was that we're going to snuff out this threat by invading the country, sitting on them, Mm. and making them change. Mm. Of course, that's preposterous. 20 years on, Afghanistan is back exactly where it was, with the persecution and degradation of women, and indeed of any dissidents, and it's controlled by basically terrorists and fanatics. 
Right, and there was, as you're well aware, Eamon, a years-long attempt by the United States to prop up a government in Afghanistan that would purportedly keep the Taliban at bay and, and produce a more uh, acceptable outcome. And that government collapsed in a matter of weeks when the Taliban started ruling just prior to the U.S. withdrawal. So not, you know, not a good advertisement by any stretch of the imagination for American um, involvement in these overseas uh, problems. Let's just look at what might be the picture after these midterm elections on Tuesday now, mm-hmm. the loss of the House, which seems almost certain, would be a body blow to Biden in terms of his presidency, which has two years to run or will have soon. Mm-hmm. The loss of the Senate, which also seems possible, likely, but not certain, mm-hmm. would compound that, I take it. Biden is talking of running in 2024. He's 80 in a few weeks' time, a few days' time, maybe. Mm. He doesn't look great, one has to say. And I understand that Trump, in his campaigning, has put together a tape of Biden's, shall we say, misspeaking or getting things wrong. His attempt, which I did see to pronounce Rishi Sunak, Mm. the new British prime minister, was very feeble. Yeah, that's right. I mean, certainly uh, there are questions about President Biden's uh, vitality and and honestly his fitness for office. He turns 80 on November the 20th. There is a general sense, I think, that he lacks um, vigor. And there are a number of occasions when he makes uh, verbal gaffes of one kind or another. Now, to be fair to Biden, he has always had a bit of a tendency to do that, but now it tends to be ascribed more to age than to just a a general um, tendency on his part. The uh, point that you raise about how the midterms will affect his fortunes, I think, is a very important one. If Democrats were to lose both uh, chambers of Congress, and, and if they were to lose the House heavily, that would clearly uh, raise big questions about whether Biden should seek a second term. There are already uh, whisperings about that. There is, for example, a figure, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, yes. who seems quite clearly positioning himself as an alternative were Biden not to run. Um, so, you know, a bad result for Democrats on Tuesday would undoubtedly weaken Biden's position, not just in terms of his own agenda, but in terms of his re-election hopes. All of that being said, he's a very proud man. He remembers being written off in the 2020 primary before coming back to win that and defeat um, Donald Trump. So Biden, I think, believes that he is often underestimated and should stick around. Um the result on Tuesday will have a big bearing on those dynamics. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hey, welcome to the Next Wave podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of Lore.com. We want to bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life, and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're going to equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Now, this election on Tuesday takes place against a very troubling background. I'm referring in particular, Niall, to the attack Mm. on Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, an 82-year-old man who was attacked in his own home mm-hmm. and had his skull fractured by a man who was shouting, where's Nancy, where's Nancy? They captured this man. It does give us a feel for the febrile atmosphere in, mm-hmm. in the United States. It's the kind of thing the January 6th insurrection, you know, with its awful visceral violence and the Proud Boys and others going in and ransacking the citadel of American democracy, having the vice president and the speaker indeed and other elected representatives running downstairs to hide from these insurgents. And here you you have someone breaking into the home in San Francisco of Nancy Pelosi assaulting her husband very, very badly. It's almost unthinkable in any European context, but not, it seems, in the present American political atmosphere. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're, we're sliding, it seems, almost irrevocably toward a very, very bleak uh, situation here. You have described what happened with Paul Pelosi. That is the latest in a number of instances where politicians have either been threatened or people have been um, arrested or in some cases charged. Um, there was an instance where um, one of the people running for re-election, in fact, on Tuesday, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor, Democratic governor of Michigan, there was a whole kidnapping plot against her for which people were um, charged. There was an attempt from the other side. Uh, a man is charged with the attempted murder, I believe, of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, uh, yes. conservative Supreme Court justice. So you 
add these things together and it is very, very troubling. There are practical concerns about the degree to which politicians are protected or need to be more carefully protected. I mean, the the mere fact that a man could get into uh, Nancy and Paul Pelosi's house uh, without being uh, prevented or stopped is itself very troubling. But to your point about the general trends, Eamon, the, there's a cap, there's a capital police, a, a police force that is charged with protecting lawmakers while they're on the capital, and it, it is also responsible for investigating uh, threats against lawmakers. Though the number of threats each year has gone off the charts since about 2016, 2015, 2016, a time which, of course, coincides with uh, Donald Trump's rise to the presidency. In between then and now, the number of threats against legislators in this country has multiplied by around 10. And that shows just how dangerous a situation we're in. Yeah, speaking the other night, Barack Obama talked about truth. He said truth matters. And, of course, it's self-evident that it does. But even in the case of Paul Pelosi, an 82-year-old husband of the Speaker of the House of Representatives, third in line to be president, second after if something were to happen to President Biden, a nasty rumor about Paul Pelosi Mm. appeared on social media And it was supported to some extent by Trump, I think. It was certainly the tweet concerning it was retweeted by Elon Musk, a man who has just bought Twitter. This is sick. Mm. I don't want to even say what they were saying about Paul Pelosi, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. And it it was evil. Yes. And that propensity for disinformation to be spread and to be believed is really one of the major ingredients, I think, in this degradation of American politics. Um, To to go back a uh, few years ago, only a few miles from where I'm speaking to you, Eamon, there was a guy uh, went into a uh, pizza uh, place here in Washington armed, um, purportedly trying to uncover a completely fictional, nonsensical conspiracy theory about how high-profile Democrats were uh, trafficking children and that there were secret compartments or tunnels beneath this pizza parlor and all the rest. Nonsense. Complete nonsense. But has spread partly through QAnon and partly just through the sort of wild west of the internet and social media. And we see that kind of pattern being uh, repeated again and again. And I don't see any great sense of it getting better. In fact, now that Mr. Musk has bought Twitter, it might get worse, at least in that in that regard. But the the dangers of these kinds of conspiracy theories or disinformation or misinformation spreading so wildly. Uh, I'm not sure that we have fully grappled with that yet, not just in the United States, but in the, in the West generally. And I'm also not sure, given the protections that are enshrined in the Constitution in the United States about free speech and all of that, 
I'm not really sure how they can be um, curbed. One, uh, just briefly, Eamon, I mean, you and I spoke just before uh, I was away for a couple of weeks about the case of Alex Jones, a conspiracy theorist uh, who was very prominent and was eventually, uh, eventually faced legal sanction for defamation. Uh, because he had suggested wrongly that the parents in the Sandy Hook massacre were actors in some way, yes. were faking it. Now, in, uh, of course, it was good that Jones was eventually or has eventually been curbed in that way, but it shows how extreme the lies or conspiracies have to be here before anything happens. Meanwhile, you have a whole lot of other things of that nature that are just sort of spreading all over the place and are believed by a disconcertingly large proportion of the public sometimes. Yes, and I mean, Steve Bannon is in this mix, Mm. former chief of staff when Trump was seeking office in 2016, He's been. He's in the Trump circle. He has a talk show. He talked about Democrats and these grooming mm. people. And I think there was a link there also to the Pelosi case. It's it's deeply unpleasant. But I I want to move on mm-hmm. to, because there's something else again in a piece you wrote for the Hill, citing a New York Times poll, which shows 74 percent of Democrats. And 72% of Republicans agreed that democracy in the United States is under threat. But the appearance of unanimity in that result is illusory. The poll also asked respondents how they would feel about voting for a candidate who claimed the 2020 election was stolen. Only 12% of Democrats were prepared to countenance that idea. But 71% of Republicans said they would be very comfortable or somewhat comfortable voting for a candidate who felt that the election in 2020 was stolen. Yes, which goes to what we've just been talking about. I mean, the... the but the ID- numbers are staggering now. Oh, I astonishing. Mean, 71% yep. of mm-hmm. Republicans, which I take it are not all proud boys. They're people right. from the suburbs. Right. They're, they're regular people. Right. At that level, 71%. They can't mm. all be nut jobs. No, certainly not. I mean, you're talking about approximately 50% of the United States. You're talking about a, an electorate or a, a Republican supporting electorate that will almost certainly deliver at least the House of Representatives to the Republican Party come Tuesday. And a the, the, the number of people who wouldn't vote for an election denier is a quite a small minority. I mean, it's, what's that, less than 30%. Yeah. So, you know, it is an astonishing situation. I think one of the things that is striking is how fast that has changed. Now, I know, and not to toot our own horn, we have been talking about this now for uh, at least a couple of years, but if you think even back to, let's say, 2012, Mitt Romney, the Republican nominee for uh, president, ultimately was defeated by then-sitting President Barack Obama, there was no question of no. Romney suggesting that the election was fraudulent or had been stolen or had been rigged. The 2020 election result, which uh, Trump in particular protests was stolen, the results of that election were exactly in line with what you would expect 
from the polling, from an incumbent president who was fairly unpopular, who had failed to grapple with any degree of effectiveness, really, with the COVID-19 pandemic. The result was not surprising. And yet you have, as you just pointed out from that poll, 71% of Republicans prepared to vote for someone who believes and states that that election was stolen or rigged or fake. I mean, it's it's an extraordinary sort of dizzying um, shift in American politics within a decade or less. Yes, and it has consequences. One of them would be support for Ukraine. I think you mentioned it earlier in our conversation, Niall, that should the map go red, that is Republican in House, Senate, and ultimately in the White House, the position of the United States' relationship with NATO, with Europe, and the degree to which it would be supporting Ukraine, or in particular, supporting Taiwan, Mm. if China made a move. We in the West are in big trouble, aren't we? Yes, I mean, I think that it is sometimes sometimes underappreciated, particularly, I think, on the sort of European left, honestly, the degree to which there are nations, Taiwan being one of them, who depend ultimately for the United States, on the United States for their security. I mean, the, the reason that China has not made a move on Taiwan is presumed to be that the US would back Taiwan in that situation. Now, And Biden recently mm. stated that, although it is not official American policy, that, and he, he had to go back and fudge it, the mm. official policy is, should we say, constructive ambiguity. It is, yes. The, constrict- the the official policy is something of a fudge. It's sort of, we support Taiwan and we won't exactly say, but Biden has said that the US would come to Taiwan's aid in that, in that situation. Then you look at, at Russia and Ukraine, where yes, European nations have, have supported Ukraine, but the, the essential actor, the, the, yes. the, the country that the coalition can't do without is the United States. Now, if, uh, this is broader, I think, than Donald Trump himself, if that isolationist tendency in the Republican Party carries the day, uh, then that will change. Now, it won't change overnight by virtue of the House uh, flipping, but it will make it, I would say, significantly more difficult to get the kind of support for Ukraine and financial and military aid support for Ukraine that has been given over the past year, approximately, since the start of the Biden administration, actually, prior to the Russian invasion. And, you know, more broadly, there is the issue of uh, Donald Trump's coziness with uh, with Vladimir Putin. And, in fact, his general uh, sometimes admiration for strong men or for authoritarian uh, leaders. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Viktor Orban in Hungary, Mr. Bolsonaro in Brazil, other people who Trump seems to like almost because of their authoritarian uh, tendencies. Yes, and just on the question of isolationism, Niall, mm. the idea that, that isolationism, American isolationism, derives from Trumpism or QAnon, that is actually very misleading. Mm. Joseph Kennedy, that's John F. Kennedy's father, Mm -hmm. was isolationist. 
He lost his job as ambassador to Britain Mm -hmm. because he opposed Roosevelt. He was an isolationist. So it's even more troubling when you understand this. Isolationism is not one of these QAnon ideas or a a Trump idea. Mm. Isolationism has deep roots in the United States of America among perfectly respectable people. Oh, very much so, and and has been a part of the Republican Party in particular for a very long time. I mean, Joseph Kennedy is obviously an exception to that. But even in more recent decades, I mean, in the 1990s, for example, uh, there was a very prominent uh, Republican uh, media figure turned candidate, Pat Buchanan, yes, who challenged indeed. challenged the elder George W. Uh, George H. W. Bush, excuse me, uh, in the primaries in 1992. Uh, but Pat Buchanan would have been vigorously isolationist, uh, arguing essentially that the United States should take care of its own business and not get involved in these foreign entanglements, as Buchanan would would have seen it. Now, I know that people will look at examples like Iraq and Afghanistan and see his point, um, which is fair enough. But the, the difficulty with that view is that it underplays the, uh, well, frankly, the positive uh, elements to United, the United States internationalism in terms of support for multilateral institutions, in terms of support for some of the nations like Taiwan that we have mentioned, in terms of generally putting its shoulder to the plow in the right direction in a way that other individual Western countries generally don't have the power to do. And yes. in the absence of that kind of American involvement, then you do give much freer reign to thugs like Mr. Putin or to China, which has very clear expansionist tendencies of its own and a very clear and pretty appalling record when it comes to human rights. And just a final unhappy thought now, mm. no American politician is going to lose an election by suggesting we should keep our boys at home. No, absolutely not. I mean, that is a winning political platform. And, uh, you know, the the internationalist uh, argument has always been much more difficult to make in elections. So I wouldn't say that's a, a huge issue on Tuesday, but I would say the result on Tuesday could have very major uh, implications in that regard. Okay, now we're very grateful to you for joining us from Washington. We hope to talk to you during the week. Thank you very much indeed. That was Niall Stanage. And we're glad he's back, as many of our listeners are as well. That's all we have time for now. We're very grateful to you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, welcome to the Next Wave podcast. Consider us your chief AI officer in your business. My name is Matt Wolf. I have the number one YouTube channel in the AI space. I also run futuretools.com and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Lands, founder of lore.com. We want to bring you the latest AI news and trends, show you how you can use AI in your business and personal life and help make it super easy for you to understand and execute. We're going to equip you with the knowledge to thrive in this upcoming wave of change. 